Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus is dead. Darkness has had its hour. But all along, God's plan was in action, wasn't it? The price for our sin has now been paid. Jesus has triumphed. But, because no one believed what he said, everyone acts like it's the worst defeat possible. And thus, as burial proceedings move forward, there is a solemnness to the scriptures until three days go by. Luke covers the Lord's resurrection this morning, and we get into it. May we see just how reliable our faith is, even when we're doubting. And thus, May we understand our faith in a better way than we have before. Everyone has gone home, even Jesus' disciples, except for one guy. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. And this man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. Now that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned, and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. But everything changes in chapter 24. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, when the Sabbath was ended, Sunday comes, it's the first day of the week, very early in the morning. It means at sunrise. This is how we know we, Sunday actually started at 6 p.m. the previous day. So this is how they know it was on Sunday morning, not the evening. I know that's confusing for us because we don't do our days that way, but that's how they did it. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So they entered in, and they did not find the body of Jesus. For it says in verse 4, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So verse 5 says, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, the angels had to say something to comfort them. Just like Jesus' birth, the angels are here to make an announcement. And they said unto them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. It's a simple announcement. Has asked a question, and then it states a fact. Easy. The first question is pretty powerful, though, and very challenging. And you wonder how many times, at least I wonder how many times angels are saying things like this about me. Why are you looking for answers where you'll never find them? That's what they're asked. Why are you looking for answers where you'll never find them? Oh, we know why. Because you didn't trust what God said. 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Is that my testimony? That I'm looking for answers where I'm not going to find them because I'm not trusting what God already told me. Trusting God when you think you understand what he's doing isn't faith. That's not faith at all. That's just good sense. Like if you can tell exactly or you think you can tell exactly what God's doing, that's not trusting God. It's just good sense. Any person can look at that and go, oh, I see what God's doing. Trusting God when everything you see and feel seems to contradict what God says. Now that's, that's faith. That's faith. When Jesus said to them, hey, I'm gonna be betrayed, handed over to uh, uh, wicked men. They're gonna crucify me. I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again the third day. They didn't see that. And so it It's not that they didn't hear it. It just kind of went in one ear and out the other. And so often I find that, at least maybe not with you, but that's the case with me, that it's not that I don't hear a thing that God says. It's not that I don't read it. Not that I didn't hear the preacher or the person who shared it with me, but I didn't take it to heart. I didn't trust God with it. And so the problem comes is now you're in a situation where you need that truth and you can't lay hold of it because you didn't take it to heart. You ever gone through that? Because then you start looking for answers where you'll never find them. God knows when we do that. And not always, but sometimes it's why he allows us to go through some really difficult things because we need to learn that we're not really trusting him. And the only thing that would show that to us is to put that thing to the test. I've learned over the years the things I thought I was solid in, I wasn't. Intellectually, I adhered to it. Biblically, if someone sat down and said, hey, do you believe this? I would say, well, of course. But I never really thought about it, never really meditated on it, never took it to heart in a way that I would actually be prepared if I had to put it into practice. And so the Lord then would allow me to go through a trial or go through a situation where all of that would be brought to light. Because here I am grasping for answers over here, 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 here. And of course, not finding anything. And I'm walking around like these ladies, perplexed, and going, what do I do next? I don't know what to do, God. Where are you? And the Lord's going, I'm right where I always was when I already gave you the answer to this situation. Still here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Me and Beverly have been invited to minister at a um, another church for a marriage event, and uh, we went down. And this is many years ago. And we went down, and and it was a great time. And uh, so we're on the drive back, and because we, we were our kids were old enough at that point in time, we could leave them. And so we're on the drive back and, and, and we're talking about marriage and different things, different questions people ask and everything. And, and I think Bev mentioned something along the lines of, you know, I, I don't understand why it's such a struggle. You know, the Bible says that wives are supposed to submit, submit to their husbands. She goes, you know, that's what we need to do. She goes, I'm a submissive wife, right? <laughs> After about 30 minutes of silence, she says to me, okay, Please tell me why I'm not a submissive, why you don't think I'm a submissive wife. And I said to her, I said, you're not a submissive wife. And I explained why. 
It was very quiet the rest of the way home. (laughs) Three days later, she came to me and said, I'm very angry right now. And I'm going to be angry for a little while longer. But I know you're right. I'm just struggling because I thought I was okay there. And now from the things you shared, I'm seeing I'm not. And it was cool because two weeks later, we had a really good talk. And, you know, and she, you know everything, was, everything was fine. But the point is, is that, you know, if we hadn't had that conversation, we might have never also had that opportunity to grow. And, uh, and you know, I use her as an example. I have so many more examples in my life where I thought I was fine. I thought I was obeying God or trusting God. And then God drops me into a situation where it exposes me in an area. And I realize I wasn't. I intellectually believed something, but practically I wasn't living it out. And so it's not like when Jesus said these things, they just said, ah, Jesus, you're not going to die. No, they were scared. They saw all these things happening too. But the idea that it had to happen and there was a reason it should have happened and it would end in resurrection never went from here to here. And so they were looking for answers in all the wrong places and therefore not finding any. So Still, he, he says he is not here, but he is risen. Colon, which means the angel pauses thinking, that'll be enough. And they're all just kind of looking at him going, what? So the angel says next, remember, which is actually in the imperative in the Greek, which means it's a command. You must remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. He told you he'd be betrayed. He told you it was necessary for all these things to happen and that he would rise again too. You must remember his words. And look at what verse 8 says. And they remembered his words. The word there, remember, it means they were caused to think about it again. Again, it's it's not that they didn't hear Jesus the numerous times he said it. They just didn't give it a second thought. And so now all of a sudden they're starting to ruminate over it and, and let it marinate in their hearts for a little bit. And all of a sudden they're thinking, oh my goodness. And it clicked. Let me ask you a question. Do you read your Bible like that? Where you read it and then you actually take the time to think about it, ruminate on it, let it marinate in your heart and then figure out what it means for you? Like how this is supposed to affect how you live? James chapter one, we read in our scripture reading, but I wanna read some verses again if you wanna turn there real quick. James one, I wanna highlight verses 21 to 25. James has just told us, he said, listen, God's not a big meanie. Don't say when you've been tempted, you've been tempted by God. God doesn't do that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. He's the one who birthed you. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who's done all these awesome things for you. So remember that. And in light of that, verse 21, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's why I love the old King James. You're never going to see a phrase like that anywhere else. Superfluity of naughtiness. It just sounds awful. It sounds like I've just got this gushing naughtiness coming out of me, horribleness. And that's the idea. That's how we are naturally. Naturally, just yuckiness comes out. But the, but the thought is, lay it aside. We have to make a choice each day to lay it aside. Lay aside filthy things. Lay aside that overflow of yuckiness that just wants to come gushing out of us. 
And instead, replace that, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls, to rescue from that overflow of nastiness. It says, receive with meekness God's word so you can be changed. The word meekness there means humility, a mildness of disposition. To read with humility means I think about what God says. I think about how I can apply it practically. Not argue with it. Not ignore it. But with a true heart that says, what does this mean for me, God? What in my life needs to change in light of what I just read? But be doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, sees he needs to comb his hair, and then he goes his way and immediately forgets what manner of man he is. He listens, I need to do some work. And then he goes away pretending like he never ever saw the need to do some work. Contrast, whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, God's word which sets us free and continues therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, that man will be blessed in his deed. In other words, his time in the scripture will bear fruit. His time in the scripture will be meaningful. Being a doer of the word means taking the time to meditate on what God's word says. To put in the effort to figure out what it means. And then to figure out how I need to put it into action in my life. That's what actually happened for these ladies this time. What does this mean? What did he say? What did he say exactly? He said he'd rise again. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. What does that mean? It means he's alive. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for us? And so the phrase here, it says, and they returned. It literally means as they're remembering, they get up and leave. Now, that's a pretty radical response when you consider that angels are in front of them. I don't know about you, but if I had an angel that was still kind of hanging out, chilling, I'd be like, I've got a few more questions. <laughs> but this is, this is how crazy this is for them. This is how life-changing and how dawning life has now hit them that, oh my goodness, we missed it all. We misunderstood everything. All that mattered to them now was acting on Jesus' words by telling the rest of the team. For it says... And they returned from the tomb and they told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. I love what David Goodzik said. He said, you know, the empty tomb, the presence of angels, even the words of the angels in and of themselves could not change their hearts. Jesus' words could. I mean, here they are. They come in and look at the empty, empty tomb and they're scratching their heads. What do we do? What's going on? Boom, there's two angels there. They're still going, I don't know what's going on. And the angels are like, he's not here, he's risen. And they're still looking at him. What's the point? The point is this. It's only the words of God himself that change us. When they started thinking about not what the angels said, but what Jesus said, that's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. That's why we need to be in the scriptures. It's great to have people that encourage you. It's great to have people you can call up and talk to when you're going through it. Yeah, it's not, and it's not that that's bad, but the only thing that's going to get you going when, when everything around you looks like it's crashing is going to be the words of the Lord himself, his word, the Bible, and how it applies to your specific situation.
Now it tells us in verse 10 some of the notable women who came back. It says it was Mary Magdalene, the one who had had seven demons cast out of her. Joanna, she was, uh, Luke 8, 3 tells us she was a woman Jesus had healed, uh, the wife of Herod's steward. Mary, the mother of James. This is not Mary, the mother of James and John, the brothers, but the mother of James, the son of Alphaeus, the other James who was part of the twelve. And the other women that were with them, which told these things, they came and told these things unto the apostles. Luke lists these women here likely because they were alive still and they could verify his story. Again, his whole desire of the book of Luke is to prove that we have a reliable faith. If you don't believe me, go ask the ladies. I'll give you their address. You know, they're still alive. But verse 11, look at what happens when they tell the disciples. It says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe them. Their words seemed, the word means to give an impression. In other words, the way they spoke, the excitement that was there, the emotion that they were conveying, it seemed, gave them the impression that they were idle tales. It's actually a medical term back then that Luke would know that was used to describe the wild talk of someone who's delirious, someone who's not cognizant. In other words, they're, they're just being emotional. They're over, overwhelmed. Their emotions have gotten the better of them. They're not seeing things clearly, not thinking correctly. We cannot rely upon what they're saying. And so they did not believe them. They discounted their words as emotionally untrustworthy. Thankfully, that phrase believe is in the imperfect tense, which means they didn't stay in unbelief. But for now, they had no confidence in their testimony. Because again, even the words of a person who's seen a miracle can't change my heart. Only Jesus' words can do that. And until these guys remembered what Jesus said, like the women already had, they'd remain in disbelief. They'd remain there. However, one disciple did not ignore their words completely. One who had already learned the disappointing lesson of ignoring Jesus. And one who desperately needed Jesus to come back from the dead. Look at verse 12. Then arose Peter... And he ran unto the tomb, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. The linen clothes were those bandages which Jesus' body had been wrapped in. And when he gets into the tomb, he pokes his head inside, and he sees the bandages set in order, but without the body. In other words, they're still wrapped like there was a body there. The only thing missing is the body. In other words, the bandages weren't ripped, you know? It wasn't like Jesus just, oh, that was a rough couple days, you know? And then he pulled the bandages off. Now he just passed out. He wasn't really dead. The bandages were all wrapped. It's like someone had just sucked the body out of it. Now, John also gives us this information in John chapter 20 because he also went to the tomb with Peter. He actually tells us he outran Peter and got there first. He's far more spiritual than Peter. Luke gives it here again because he's trying to show no more proofs that Jesus' body wasn't stolen, wasn't eaten by animals. He didn't just pass out. I was reading some atheist comments on this chapter uh, this week, and, and I, I don't mean to be insulting. If you're an atheist here today, I'm not trying to be insulting to you. I just find all your arguments to be very unintelligent. And I, again, I don't mean that to be insulting. I just wish that you would come up with something better. To, for the reason that you want to not believe, right? But he's talking about how, oh, you know, the Romans, you know, they would never give, give away a body to a, a Jew. And then he goes on and he quotes Josephus, how Josephus said that the Romans did this. And he goes, yeah, but that was in peacetime. They would never do something like that in wartime. And then he quotes how Jerusalem was lined with crucifixes during the time that they laid siege to it in 70 AD. And 
He says in wartime, they would never do that. And Jesus, he's a war criminal. So, and I thought, are you stupid? I, I hate to say it that way, but that's how I felt. I'm like, Pilate, numerous times over and over again, goes, I know you brought him here for jealousy. I know he's done nothing wrong. I wash my hands of this. He didn't treat Jesus like a war criminal. Oh, but he put the sign up there that said, gee, behold, the king of the Jews. Yeah, well, the Jews came to to Pilate and said, we don't like that sign. Say that he said he was the king of the Jews. And despite them, Pilate said, no, I know why you did this. Well, I'll keep what I've written there. This was not wartime. Jesus was not treated by the Roman government like a Roman, uh, like an insurrectionist. Same guy said later on that Jesus just woke up because he had passed out. Yeah, let me put you on a cross and stab you through the side and see how you do. I don't think you'll just be passed out. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. You can have lots of education, have lots of information, doesn't mean you're right. Doesn't mean you're right. The idea that his body just passed out, that's a supernatural event, that's a resurrection. John mentions that when he saw that, he left all doubt behind and believed at that moment. Peter, however, wasn't quite sure yet. For notice it says he departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. He went back home is what departed means. He went back to the same place with the other disciples. Wondering means to be shocked or surprised. Peter knew something crazy had happened, but he couldn't figure out what it really was or what it really meant. Why? Why why couldn't he figure it out? Because he was seeking the living among the dead, just like the ladies were at first. He hadn't taken time to remember Jesus' words. He hadn't taken time to remember the Scripture. In John chapter 20, verse 9, John tells us, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, what do you mean didn't understand it? Didn't hear it? No, he'd heard Jesus. He did not take it to heart. And because he didn't know this truth, it wasn't in his heart He'd heard the words, but didn't understand what it meant and the significance and why it had to happen. Because he didn't know that truth, even the idea of rising from the dead for Jesus was confusing to him. Because if Jesus is alive, what does that mean for Peter? Will Jesus take vengeance for his denial? Would Peter be removed from the kingdom? Would he be ignored by the one he had failed? And guys, this is why simply understanding general ideas about Christianity is not the same as understanding God's word. I know a lot of people who name the name of Christ today and they understand a few things about Christianity, but they don't really know God's word. Their lives show it. If Peter knew God's word, he'd understand that Jesus died for his betrayal and that the resurrection proved that God had accepted the sacrifice for all sin, including his. And that no matter what happened from here on out, he was going to be with the Lord forever. If he understood the cross and had really taken to heart Jesus' words, he would have understood all that. Again, I know a lot of Christians who today think they understand Christianity because they know Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. But can I just tell you that there's a lot more in the book than that? It's a lot bigger book than that. And I'm not saying that the gospel's complicated. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if we want to understand how God wants us to live, we can't just show up thinking, well, I adhere to a creed and I'm good. As church leaders, we can't just assume everybody understands Christianity and and get up here and and give sermons that will somehow stir them up or make them emotional or whatever, do whatever we need to accomplish our works. As Christians and as churches, we need to teach and listen to and receive God's word. 
Because it's only in understanding that that will be that full, complete, mature believer. That's exactly the way the Lord wants us to be, that knows how to handle the situations that we'll be in. You and I, need, we need to make the decision today to take the time to learn it all. You know, to learn it all. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for your word because it's life. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, it's all here for us. Not just part of it, not just the basics, Lord. I think of the passage in Hebrews 6 where, you know, your servant uh, Paul or whoever wrote it said, let's lay aside all these fundamental things and let's go on to things that will bring us to maturity. Lord, you want us to grow. You don't want us to always be struggling with our faith and always when we come up against a situation that, that we don't do what you say because we don't really believe that will work. We want to be those who trust you implicitly and say, Lord, you say it. Whether I think it'll work or not, I trust you. I trust that you love me, that you died for me, and that your word is perfect and you know everything. And so I, I give myself to you to trust you with this. Lord, that's what I, where we want to be. So to do that, we need to be in your word. And then as we're in your word, we need to be those who you know, let, ruminate on it. We need to meditate on it. We need to let it marinate in our hearts. And we need to figure out how we can apply it in our lives. Lord, we commit this morning to be Christians who do that that we might shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.